And about 10 minutes later, he says, is there anybody here who has some special prayer needs that they would like the elders to pray for? Uh-huh. And I'm, as, a, as a pastor, I was an elder. There were about 16 or 17 prayer requests, and we prayed for them. And then he stepped back up to the microphone again. And this was the first day he'd ever met me. Uh-huh. And he says, I feel led to ask the church to pray for my brother's eyesight with the laying out of hands. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways all the way down to small, everyday things. Welcome, everyone, to God is Real, God is Good. Today I have with me um, Charlie Sabin. I just met this man yesterday. <laughs> I was actually praying, God, who are we? Who am I going to interview, talk to next? Because as I said last week, Camus was supposed to plan this, but she's at summer camp, so it was my job. So I'm here with Charlie Sabin. So you want to say hi to everyone? Hello. If, um, you may have to listen clearly because I have a funny accent. Everybody says that. <laughs> uh, all right, so Charlie's here to tell us about how he knows God's real and God's good because God gave him his eyesight back, but he's got a lot more to share than just that. But we're going to start with a little prayer. Dear Lord, please be with us today as we record this story. Um, just let your word speak through both Charlie and I, and please help the people to listen to really know, Lord, that you are a real God and that you are good and you care for each and every one of us. Just be with the words we speak today. Amen. All right. So you want to give us a little background about you, Charlie? So where are you from? <laughs> you ever heard that song, I've Been Everywhere, man? <laughs> I have. Um, I was born in San Luis Obispo, California. At six months old, we moved up to British Columbia, Canada. Oh, wow. My dad got into engineering. At, when I was four and a half, uh, parents moved back down to central Florida, where my mother was from, so that we could have an American schooling. Lived around Tampa and Orlando through the 12 years of school and living in nine different houses. Oh, wow. <laughs> we moved a lot. <laughs> and uh, then I got in the military. And, uh, and then you got to move some more? Well, in the military, I did schooling, but I went to uh, San Antonio, Lackland for basic, and then I went up to uh, Andrews Air Force Base where I was uh, in a year-long language school, then back down to Texas for, uh, to San Angelo, and then I went over to seas to Okinawa. Oh, wow. And I stayed the remainder of my tour uh, in Okinawa and stayed an extra three and a half years as a missionary with a group called the Navigators oh, wow. over there in Okinawa. That's awesome. And, uh, then I came back to help my father move from Florida to we didn't know where. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he moved up to Newport up here. Okay. Um, and he uh, he died in 87, my mother in 89. He died of cancer. She and my older sister died when a drunk driver hit him. Oh. Okay. But the uh, the thing is, is that the... I had, uh, my older sister at that time was living in Shreveport, and I stopped there while they figured out whether they were going to stop there or going up. My brother was stationed up here um, at is it, um, Fairchild. Okay. No, no, Fairchild's in Alaska. Fairchild is right outside Spokane. Okay, then that's, yeah. where, that's, where, that's where he was stationed. Okay. And uh, they came up here, but I ended up staying there in Louisiana, and I stayed there for another 40 years. Oh, wow. And I moved up here 
in August of 16 because I'm getting older. My sister didn't like the idea that the closest family lived four states away. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, um, some people ask me, where's the best place that I've ever lived? And it's where I'm at at the time That's because great. I'm where God wants me to be. That's great. I and love so that. I think as far as my eyesight's concerned, we need to make one small section, uh, correction. Oh. You said that God gave me my eyesight back. I okay. never, I had never had eyesight. Right. My mother, in the fifth month of pregnancy, my mother had German measles or rubella. Mm-hmm. And there's normally um, results in one or a combination of three major birth defects, blindness, deafness, and mental retardation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I would quite often say, I'm fortunate I only have two of them <laughs> because I can hear fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, for meeting you briefly, I don't think <laughs> you're mentally retarded. It all, it all depends on who you do the comparisons to. <laughs> In my family, I'm the slow one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't know about that. But, but so, I guess, yes, that's correct. Then I misspoke. It wasn't gave it back. He gave it to you. Right. Okay. I, I never, I didn't, I didn't know what seeing was like until I was 51 years old. And that's crazy. And so you want to give us a little bit on your religious background, too? Um, when we left California when I was six months old, it was because Dad had a bad experience okay. where they, uh, with a church. Okay. Where there was some, he was he- heading up a group of people who had a big need. And he was told by the elders of the church that they were sorry, but they just couldn't meet that need mm. because of the fact that it wasn't in the budget. Oh, and uh, one of the members of the church uh, got together and, uh, and out of his own pocket uh, paid the, what was needed. Oh, wow. But uh, my father made a vow, and my father kept his vows. Mm-hmm. And no one living under his roof would attend any church until it could first prove that he gave 75% of all of its income to meet local needs. And uh, while that's a good that's a good thought. It's also an unrealistic goal because that means that everything else comes out of 25 cents out of every dollar. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. If you have a smaller congregation and you're, yeah, that could just be really hard to meet your church's needs. Yeah. But my father didn't raise his absent of uh-huh. a moral. Uh, he used the Old Testament and he said he selected the Old Testament as the most moral law ever given to man. Wow. And that's the reason why we followed it. So you just learned from just the New Test or the Old Testament. Just, you didn't just read. The Old Testament, right. You didn't get to learn about the New Testament, right? Okay. But we did practice such things as the Sabbath, starting on Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Mom would make a big roast on Thursday, mm-hmm. and then she would prepare that roast, um, and we would have roast beef sandwiches. Oh, wow. on Saturday. Uh huh. That was what we ate for. Okay. We had no no cooking fires, no working fires. Yeah, uh, that goes uh, along Saturday. with what the Old Testament talks right. about. Yeah, we were raised to talk to God. That's good. And the big thing, you know, is that, uh, and we would the Old Testament teaches you to expect there to be a distance between you and God. There's it says that there's a big gulf between us and God, mm-hmm. and our sins have caused Him to turn His face, and He will not hear. Mm, yeah, you didn't yell at God. <laughs> But you put as much spiritual oomph behind your parents. <laughs> you knew it had to go a long ways. Yeah. Because I know even David in like Psalms talks about that, like crying out, like yelling, not necessarily yelling like you're saying, but like, God, hear me, hear me, God. And he says that. 
It's one of those funny things because uh, mom came from a very religious family. Okay. Uh, Dad, well, we would be polite to call his family dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it was a strict upbringing. I, I can say that before about the age of 10, I got my share of spikings. <laughs> I wish they had continued. <laughs> uh, they, my father developed the patent thing about um, a lecture. A lecture, oh, yeah. Okay. It was a strict upbringing. Uh-huh. We did, uh, I was told I went to school to get an education. Mm-hmm. Just like Dad went to work to get money, my job was to get an education. I was not there to make friends. I was not there to go to somebody's house af- afterwards or to bring somebody home. My job was to get an education. Yeah. What do you, why, why, don't, why can't you um, bring somebody home? Well, we kids cooked up the story of being witches and warlocks. Oh, no. <laughs> And we gave, we would say, see, we can know things about you because we're witches and warlocks. <laughs> oh, no. Two days later, our parents called us in to the kitchen. That's where our family gathering was. I said, what have you been telling the kids on the bus? Uh-oh. <laughs> the kids on the bus went home to their parents. Their parents believed the kids enough that the parents went to the school. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. And uh, so they, when we explained, we were just trying to give them a reason why we didn't bring people home afterwards, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's not enough that mom and dad said you can't, you know? Uh-huh. It was funny because they, uh, <laughs> dad said it's not that long ago that they were burning people at the stake for Oh, this. yeah, that's true. I don't care how you correct it, but get rid of the witches and warlocks. That's, yep, <laughs> that's probably for the best. So we got to cook our heads together again, right? Uh-huh. They have something that is more outlandish, <laughs> oh, no. but, but not going to worry the parents. Yes. Well, we told you the witches and warlock because we knew you wouldn't believe the truth. Oh, no. <laughs> I think we were actually aliens. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my. And it, it, well, to get back on track, uh, we were talking mm-hmm. about your religious upbringing. So you, you were telling me you were saved when you were 15? Right. In the summer between the uh, 10th and 11th grade, okay. I received Christ as my Savior. Um, important part of this section of the testimony is your Bible that you use right now mm-hmm. can be important in the generations down the road. Yeah. Uh, my great-grandmother died in May of that year. Okay. And she willed her Bible to my mom. Mm-hmm. Her generation, and even my mom's generation, when they go to church and the preacher preaches on a thing, they make notes on the date that it was preached. They make notes on underlying things that, yeah, this is something. And they may even say what they want to do about the thing that they underlined. Oh, It'll wow. all be written in the, in the margins of their Bible. Wow. Um, so it's, it's like full of history. Then, right. like, uh, well, it's, it's, it's full of spiritual yeah. uh, Insights. That's cool. Great-grandmother's Bible had all sorts of papers slid into it. Um, There'd be anywhere from birth announcements to poems, etc. Our family is a reading family. We don't get distracted by TV mm-hmm. or video games, etc. Come, come, back then, it was you had to go to an arcade to get a video game. <laughs> there was no such thing as a handheld. Nope. nope. And, uh, our family checked out seven books apiece, and there were seven in the family. 
Uh, we had them for two weeks, and we three older children would read all 49 books, and they would vary in context and difficulty. That's a lot from, of books in two weeks. From, from my younger sister's Dr. Seuss's <laughs> to my dad's engineering books. Oh, wow. Okay. But I read all 49 books in one week. Because mom, mom and dad knew I did a lot of reading in there. When I was, when they needed me to do my chores, they'd tell me to put down, wherever they were, they'd tell me to put down the book and go do your chores. <laughs> I walked into where mom was cooking in the kitchen, and I asked her, Mom, I've got nothing to read. And for those who don't like reading, let me put it this way. This is the same as a teenage boy opening the fridge door and catching the food that's falling out and saying, Mom, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> uh well, Mom didn't have far to go. She just reached over to the half wall between um, the, the stove and the, uh, and the living room, and she handed me her grandmother's Bible and said, Here, read this. Because it was her Bible, and because Bibles open where, where people read a lot, yeah. or any book will open where you read a lot. Yeah. When I opened it up, it opened up to the Gospel of John. And for the first time, I started reading uh, in the New Testament. You've never, you've never before that read the New Testament. We were raised under the Old Testament. Yeah. There's no need to read the New Testament. Oh, wow. That was probably a Thursday morning. We lived out in the country. That night, that was July 18th of 1969. Um, about 11 o'clock at night, I asked. I basically told God, well, you know what I've been reading. Mm -hmm. And it says that I need Jesus in my life to please you. So, uh, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. And I want to live the way you want me to live. Wow. Amen. That's beautiful. Now, I was used to praying to God. Yeah. And praying to God, because there's a separation between you and God, uh -huh. took a lot of spiritual oomph. <laughs> you didn't yell at him, but you sure pushed your, your prayers toward him. <laughs> I went into where my parents were sitting, and I said that I just asked Jesus to be my Savior. And my father says, well, we'll see if it lasts. Oh, wow. Oh, he thought I was just making another career change. <laughs> and my mother said, okay. And that was it. Oh, wow. When did I know there was something different? The next morning. When I went to say good morning to God, I went to pray like I had always prayed with a lot of spiritual oomph. And it's just like God tapped me on the shoulder and said, no more of that. I'm here with you. And even when I say that right now, I get choked. Yeah, okay. I got the suit. <laughs> okay, the, the peace of God just flooded me with the knowledge that I was no longer separated from God. Oh, wow. Because, yeah. But you have to remember that the way my eyesight worked, I would tell with my right eye, I could tell light and dark. Yeah. With my left eye, without my glasses, I could not see my nose in the mirror. <laughs> Wow. I mean, my nose would have to be against the glass before I could see my eye in the mirror. Uh huh. And uh, it was—I mean, that's the way it was. And but with glasses on, I had twenty-twenty in a tunnel of seven and a half degrees. Now that doesn't mean anybody who doesn't know ophthalmology. Nope, it means nothing to me. <laughs> but if you take and hold a penny between two fingers out at arm's length, what the penny covered would be would mean that I could. That's what I could see. Okay. Or it's um, at this distance. Uh-huh. If I look you in one eye, I'd have to look over at the other eye to see whether or not you had it open or closed. Oh, wow. I, would, I mean, you yeah. could do whatever so just, you wanted with that other eye, I couldn't see. Wow. That's not very much. Yeah, and to clarify, because I know we were saying you were 
blind, you were legally blind, but yeah. you had that tiny bit of tunnel vision, and that's how you were able but to read. My parents' attitude, in fact, my parents didn't even know I was legally blind until I got into first grade. Oh, wow. They thought I was clumsy. Uh-huh. I got, in, I got into grade school. I don't remember learning how to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I really don't remember learning my ABCs. Learning to read. Uh-huh. Okay, I just remember reading. You just remember reading. Okay. Wow! In grade school, got into first grade, didn't go to kindergarten. Uh-huh. Believe it or not, it wasn't required back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Mrs. Gonzalez was my first grade teacher, but she knew I knew the alphabet and everything like that. And so, yeah, to show people how easy it is when the teacher wrote something on the board. Uh huh. She asked me what the letter was. And I said, what letter? She said, the letter on the board. Didn't see it. I didn't have glasses. Yeah. I said, there's no letter on the board. <laughs> and she knew I knew my letters. Uh-huh. So she told me to go to the office. Oh, you were in trouble. That's what I thought. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what I felt it was like at that. Yeah. Well, of course, I had to ask where the office was. <laughs> Down this hall and the first door on your right. <laughs> so I go in there and uh, ended up talking to the principal. And the principal was sitting behind this big wooden desk, which at that time, I'm standing in front of it. I'm a first grader, right? Yeah. And it hits just about shoulder level of me at the top, top uh-huh. of it, right? She asked, why are you here? And I, I said, Mrs. Gonzalez asked me to read a letter on the board, but there wasn't any letter on the board. And says, okay. She says, you see that chart over there, that paper on the wall? I says, yeah. She says, which way is the E on the top pointed? I said, there are no E's on that paper. Oh, wow. And she said, come around here. And I came around beside her again. You got to remember, I'm not seeing anything. Uh-huh. Okay. But her presence, she's, she's an adult. Yeah. And she's sitting in this big chair. <laughs> and she pulls out the top right-hand drawer and it hits me in the chest. Okay? Uh-huh. And we had a pile of old used glasses. And at that time, the Lions Club collected glasses and could give them to low-income schools for their children. Oh, wow. Okay. And we tried on glasses till I could read that chart. Oh, wow. Across from me. So what did your parents think when you came home with glasses? Um, actually, hmm, so you need glasses. Uh-huh. My, my dad always used to, well, I'll tell you and, and what happened when dad came home. Uh-huh. Dad and I went outside, and we were standing under an oak tree in the yard. Uh-huh. And I happened to look up and see that there were leaves on the tree. Uh-huh. I says, oh, there's leaves in that tree. <laughs> and you see, I'd never been able to associate the dead leaves I picked up from the ground, which are brown, yeah. with the green color above me. Oh, wow. And I remember my dad picked me up, and it's the only time he ever apologized for disciplining. And he says, I'm so sorry for all the times I scolded you for fingering things and realize, didn't realize it was because you couldn't see them. Oh, wow. You don't need to be fingering things because it'll hurt, get you hurt. But I'm sorry that I didn't realize you needed glasses. Yeah. That's the only time he ever apologized oh, wow. for, di- for discipline yeah. that he had done. Again, I'm not seeing the tree. Mm-hmm. I've got that little tunnel. Yep. And I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm able to recognize it up there above me. Hey, that's a leaf. <laughs> that's that same thing that I've been able to hold and feel, and, uh, but it's a different color. Yeah. And so how did your eyesight affect you? So like, like you're well, saying you, you ran into You know what my parents something. did? What'd they do? 
They said, oh, you can't do it the normal way? You're not excused. <laughs> you can figure out how you're going to do it. Oh, wow. And then if you come and tell us how you're going to do it, and if it needs some tweaking, we'll help you tweak it. But you've got to figure out how you're going to do it first. Wow. <laughs> and so the idea was, um, I did, before the Lord healed my eyesight, I did some very detailed artwork of, on large paintings. I'm not talking about doing miniature stuff. I'm talking about now, if the details fit the details fit the details, the details take care of the whole. I'll never see the whole, but I know it's there because the details are there. Oh, wow, yeah. And I did oil painting that way. I did um, colored pencil work. I won uh, art show prizes with my colored pencil work. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I did one where I took basically my hand uh -huh. and put a butterfly on a finger. Oh, wow. I, I titled it Peace. Yeah. You've got to be at peace with yourself for a butterfly to sit on your finger. <laughs> but... You could see all the hair in the back. Oh, uh, wow. I mean, every, everything that was on my hand at that age yeah. was there in the picture. Wow. <laughs> and, um, but I mean, that's, that's the way I saw things was in, because the little bitty tunnel. Yep, you could only see. You don't get distracted by all the other things. You see the details in that tunnel. Wow. And, uh, but in my uh, senior high school years, I was responsible for mowing the yard. It was a five-acre yard. I mowed an acre a day, six days a week. You didn't mow on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, if it's five acres, how did I divide it up evenly? If it's mowing six days, mm -hmm. the area over the septic tank had to be mowed twice a week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but they made concessions. When Charles is out there mowing, everybody else is in the house. Oh, that's a good idea. You know why? So you don't run over anybody. No, so I don't run over a pine cone and, or a tin can or something and, and they throw it out the side and hit somebody. <laughs> oh, not about running. Oh, wow. You see, I could look at the front wheel uh -huh. and line it up on the previous cut. Okay. Okay. And I keep that front wheel following the previous cut, but I couldn't see anything in the area that I was cutting while I'm looking at that one wheel. Okay. I only had that little bit of tunnel, right? Yep. Yeah, so... Um, so it was it was a safety precaution. They listened to some of the difficulties I had, but they would they were not something that stopped me from doing it. Yeah. Uh, except for one thing, they can't drive. Oh no! You see, with, with my, with, if you, if you consider a penny at arm's length and put it up against the rearview mirror, mm -hmm. you could hear something land on the hood of the car before you'd see it while you're looking at the rearview mirror. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. I don't think you want me on the road with you with that. No, no, okay. I don't. So then to the, the story itself. So tell me about what that experience was like about when God healed your eyesight. Well, I accepted Christ in 69. Mm -hmm. In 79, I surrendered to preach. Okay. And um, I had argued with God for several years before then. In fact, there was one time I went to a, uh, a little seminary. And on one December or on one out album, and in '78, it has me. They had given me a, one of those gag gifts at Christmas of red suspenders. Uh -huh. I got like that. It took a picture, uh -huh. and uh, it was really funny. I kept emphasizing to them, "I am not a preacher. Uh -huh. I'm here to learn more about what the Bible says, etc." But I'm not a preacher. Uh -huh. So it says in there, "I'm not a preacher." <laughs> they ran the same picture the next year. It says, 
I am a preacher. <laughs> Same identical picture. <laughs> but the thing is, is that uh, I, I found that God provided people who would give me rides. Well, actually, uh, in the town that I was living in, in northwest Louisiana, there were three nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And they were within a two-block period. Oh, wow. Well, area. Yeah. And so I could go to all three nursing homes and, and walk. And it only took me, an, as a little town, it only took me an hour to walk from city limit to city limit. <laughs> and people got used to, I mean, around town were used to me mm-hmm. uh, using the white cane, et cetera. Yeah. A funny thing, I went to church, and it was a, it was about a 35-minute walk from my house to church. I could, <laughs> no income. You'd be surprised how people don't hire you when you can't see. <laughs> but the um, the thing is, is that it was raining. Uh-huh. And somebody pulled up beside me. And I thought I recognized the car. Uh-huh. And I hopped in and said, boy, I sure appreciate, I thought it was one of, the, one of the members from church, right? Yeah. I sure appreciate you stopping. And he's looking over at me. And I, have, I looked over. And he's a total stranger. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I says, whoops. I thought you were someone else going going to church. <laughs> I'm sorry. See you later. I hopped out. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. But uh, I mean, it's the it's just one of those things. I was involved. I uh, had uh, a fellow who had a music ministry, mm-hmm. and he asked me if I would be on his board of directors. Mm-hmm. And what he did is he sets up in parking lots, like Walmart's parking lots, all over. Northeast Texas and North Louisiana, singing gospel songs. And oh, he wow. has a fantastic voice. Oh wow! And he will not sell his songs. Oh wow! He has CDs that he gives away, and they have fourteen songs and an eight and a half minute gospel message. Oh wow! But he sits up there, and people and people and people in churches support him. Mm-hmm. And when he asked me to be on his board, I says, "I'll be on your board if you can guarantee me that." You know where every penny that came in goes out. Mm. And he says, well, how am I going to do that? And I says, you've got a computer. Yeah. I'll set you up a spreadsheet. I'll show you, I'll show you how to keep your records. You have to keep records while you're on the road. You have to keep re- and you have to put them right into the computer that same day because if you don't, they'll get behind. Mm-hmm. Because I knew the program. I was over at his house a lot. And the mm-hmm. children called me Uncle Charlie. Oh. Well, in 69, his... July of 69, his wife was eight and a half months pregnant with the fourth child. Mm-hmm. And he's, they been invited, he's been invited to sing at a revival meeting. So the family's going, and they asked Uncle Charlie to go so he could help hold toddler's hands while Daddy was up there singing. Yep. And the result of that, um, a young man, he'd surrendered to preach a year before. This was his first revival series, and this was the opening night of the of that revival series, his first revival sermon. Uh-huh. And I don't know how I was done up here, but down there in, in Louisiana, uh, especially in smaller communities, everybody goes to everybody else's revival. Mm-hmm. There were about seven churches from the community represented there. And that's how it should be. I think so. I think so. And But he, his invitation was walking with Jesus. If you want to make a commitment to walking with Jesus, come down to the altar kneel there and pray and make your commitment to Jesus. Don't talk to one of these pastors here. Mm. Make your commitment to Jesus. Then go talk to a pastor if you want to. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And uh, about 60, 70 people there, about half of them went down and knelt. And about 
Ten minutes later, he says, is there anybody here who has some special prayer needs that they would like the elders to pray for? Uh-huh. And I'm, as, a, as a pastor, I was an elder. There were about 16 or 17 prayer requests, and we prayed for them. And then he stepped back up to the microphone again. And this was the first day he'd ever met me. Uh-huh. And he says, I feel led to ask the church to pray for my brother's eyesight with the laying out of hands. Oh, wow. And so had you ever prayed about your eyesight before? Had you ever wanted it to be fixed? Well, actually, I was comfortable You're with comfortable. my eyesight. I was 51. I'd had 51 years of seeing the way I saw yeah. through that little bitty tunnel. Yeah. Okay. And 10 years before, oh, this was 2004, in the 1990s, I was telling people, I see just as good as you do. It's just that just like a TV takes all those little dots and puts them together to make a picture, I take all these little coins and I put them up here and I see up here what you see out there. Mm-hmm. And I see just as good as you do. And I, I mean, I could talk the language of eyesight. Uh-huh. Okay. I knew what I was, I knew what I could see. Uh-huh. I knew that I could see. The ophthalmologist told me that my, because of the German measles, that my retinas looked like somebody had crumpled up in a a piece of aluminum foil and tried to straighten it out. It was just full of creases. Oh, yeah. And that's the reason why the, the lens couldn't focus on mm-hmm. anything but a little bitty area. I was comfortable. If, if somebody had asked me to list the top 10 things that I was praying for in my life, eyesight wouldn't have been on the list. Oh, wow. I was comfortable. Yeah, because like, that had been your, your way your whole life. Right. That way, and, that, so. and, and I thought I was seeing just as good as anybody else did. Oh, wow. We prayed following the guidelines of James 5 about uh, anointing with oil mm-hmm. and laying on of hands. They, they had taken away my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they handed me a, a sort of like a steno tablet or a notebook. Okay. And asked me if I could read what was on it. And I, I'm holding it just about at a comfortable reading distance. Uh-huh. And I could I said, I can see there's writing on it. And that's an improvement. Oh wow. But I, I can't read it. Uh-huh. I said, let's pray again. They prayed again and handed it to me again. And I was it was a prayer request. Okay. And I read right through them except for I couldn't make out one word. Uh-huh. And I, and I, but I'm reading them out loud and I turn and I says, I turned to the fellow who was giving me the tablet. I said, can't make out this word. He looked at it. And he's the one that wrote it, and he couldn't make it out. <laughs> so he asked his wife what the prayer request was, and then we knew what the word was. Oh, there you go. But that's a miracle. And but, that's, that's but, crazy. I mean, how it, it, it changed just that quickly. That's so crazy. That night coming home, I'm sitting in the shotgun seat yeah. uh, of, of the Suburban that the family rides in. For the first time, I see the solid white line. And the dotted line disappeared in front of the truck at the same time. Oh, wow. I could have looked at one or the other before, but I couldn't see them. That's when I knew I had peripheral vision. Oh, wow. The next morning, the music minister's dad caught me in Walmart. He didn't catch me, but I mean, we both were back. Down there, Walmart is this... uh, is a community center. That's <laughs> <laughs> where you, you go to socialize. If you, want to, if you want to meet with somebody, you go there. They're probably there. <laughs> That's so funny. His dad says, hey, I hear something happened last night. And I says, yes, God changed my eyesight. He said, well, Brother Charlie, do I look like you expected me to? And I says, oh, no. He says, well, how do I look different? And I says, you're rounder. <laughs> and he asked me if that was a good thing. And I told him, you better believe it. <laughs> 
And just one thing about like how your eyesight was healed that like really like amazes me is that like it parallels like the story in the Bible of Jesus healing the man. And he asks him, like, can you see people? And he's like, well, they look like trees walking mm-hmm. by. And then they, you know, he... It, it, anointed some more, burnt some more mud in, I think yep, it was. <laughs> I think it was the mud, yeah. And he puts more mud on his eyes and then he can see. And I think that's just really amazing how God, your story parallels the one in the Bible. Another story that's paralleled in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says there was a man born blind. Yeah. And they want to know who had sinned, him or his parents. And Jesus said neither. This was done for the glory of God. Wow. And so, um, but also the end of that chapter, he's being quizzed. Uh-huh. And uh, he says, they asked him, who did it? And he says, I don't know. Uh-huh. And later on, he finds out it was Jesus. And Jesus tells, tell, tells him to, not to tell anybody, etc. He goes right back to the to the <laughs> uh, leadership that was questioning him. And he says, well, it was Jesus. And they said, it couldn't be Jesus. We know this man to be a sinner. And the man says, I don't know whether or not this man's a sinner, but I do know whereas I was blind, now I see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. And... Uh, it was really funny because I had all sorts of responses from churchgoers. Uh-huh. Uh, I had one fellow who, for five years until the day he died, every time he'd see me, he says, what did the doctors do? Uh-huh. And I said, the only thing the doctors did was verify what God had done. Wow. I had one lady who told me, I knew you were lying all those years you said you were mine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, 51 years of lying. That's, I don't know why anybody would lie. Yeah. <laughs> very few of them said, praise God. Wow. That's that's really sad that yeah. you, you're seeing even Christian people, they just, they're yeah. not going to accept that God did, gave you this miracle. And, uh, but, you know, it says to encourage one another with the, with the word of our testimony, right? Exactly. Um, and one example that came was a lady who was probably in her 50s or 60s. She did sampling at Walmart. Yeah, you told me this story yesterday. I was going to ask you to tell it. I, I loved this, too. And uh, she saw me come in, and, hey, I'm legally blind. I'm getting by um, Social Security disability without any quarters, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm down, uh, uh, I'm down at the, below the SSI. Uh-huh. Uh, and so every time I catch somebody sampling, I sample. <laughs> but uh, so she knew me. Yeah. But she recognized that I didn't have my cane. It took me from the 18th of November in 2004 to the 23rd of December that year to wean myself off the cane. Oh wow! Because I knew what the cane was telling me, but I had to learn to see. Oh wow! And just one funny thing about that. Yeah. I'm walking down with the cane during that period of time. I'm walking down one of the main roads. I started feeling queasy. I stopped and went away. Another 10, 15 feet, and I started feeling queasy, and I stopped. The third time I stopped, uh, what's causing this? Then, as I'm moving my head, I realized that all the yards I was passing before, if I ever looked at them, all I saw was that one little penny of green. Uh-huh. And if I looked at the one little penny of green beneath it, I didn't know if it was higher, closer, or further away. Yeah. Okay. There were... I could judge whether there's the same green. Uh-huh. But when you have eyesight, as you walk past a, a, a curve or a dip in the yard, the shape of it changes, just like the top of water. Yeah. And I realized that I was seasick. <laughs> and I, I stopped and actually laughed at myself and says, Charlie, the ground isn't moving. 
It's just that you can see it now out of the uh, corner of my eyes. Yeah. And I uh, didn't have any more problem with seasickness. <laughs> wow, that's so... And, uh, but anyway, so they, I told this lady, she, she saw me, she says, well, where's the cane? Did you have surgery? And I said, no. And I told her what had happened on this 18th, uh, 17th of November and, um, at the little revival meeting and how God had changed my, or my, at that time I was still saying healed my eyesight because I had nobody. Uh, I, I went back to, I'd just been reapproved for the disability in July of that year. Uh-huh. And I went back to the same doctor and he says, I see nothing different about your eyes except you can see now. Wow. It did not occur to me nothing different uh-huh. until six years later when I went to another ophthalmologist for the first time. And you, they dilate your eyes and put the machine in front of you and he comes in. I've never had an ophthalmologist come look at my eye that he didn't sit down on a rolling chair. Uh-huh. Okay. And he looked at my eyes and he looked over at the computer, which is where charts are now. Uh-huh. And he looked at my eyes and he looked over at the computer and he moved the machine and rolled back and folded his arms and says, now tell me the history of your eyes. And I told him about the German measles and everything like that. And I got to the point when I said that in November of 2004, I was at a revival meeting and they prayed for my eyes. And quote, this is what the doctor said, stop, that explains it. Your macro is so riddled with old scars from the German measles, you should not be able to see at all. Oh, wow. That you can see anything, much less see as well as you do, is a miracle. Oh, I'm wow. Told. That's I mean, so Six crazy. years afterwards, he's looking at my eyes, and he says, your eyes should be blind from what I see. That's so crazy that God, he, 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 you he can see. God my... made it so you can see, but he didn't necessarily fix the... He didn't fix the eyes. But that's awesome because then he yeah. allowed it to still be broken so that it could be a it's testimony. For, yeah, so it's for, it's for God's glory. Yeah. And so they, um, but when I spoke with the lady, the lady I, told, I, I told her that God had healed my eyes. Uh-huh. After, after that talk with the, with the second ophthalmologist, I said God healed my eyesight. He did not change my eyes. Yeah. But I was telling people who God had healed my eyes and how and everything, and she gave me a great big hug. And I actually didn't see her for another year. Uh-huh. I had more important things to get. I'm mad. I had not been allowed to drive because of my eyesight. <laughs> Wednesday night, God healed my eyesight. Thursday, finances. I got to go talk to Social Security because I'm no longer blind, and I'm getting a check for being blind. Uh-huh. Friday, I was in the DMV. <laughs> I'm still using the white cane. Oh, yeah. Everybody used to sing me go around town. With the white cane. Yeah. Of the seven people in the DMV office in, uh, working there, I had preached before six of them in their home church. Oh, getting wow. up with the, into the pulpit area with the cane, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm in the DMV. And I said, uh, I said, what does a person have to do to get a learner's permit? And since I came in alone, they said, for whom? I said, for me. And like, of course, they say, but, but you're blind. <laughs> and I told them what had happened the night before, oh, on Wednesday night. And they said, sit down here, and they checked my eyesight. And they went, yeah, now you've got enough eyesight to drive. The first thing you do have to do before you get a learner's permit is go take driver's ed. People in Louisiana taking driver's ed to 14 and 15-year-olds, and here I am, 51. Oh, wow. I have a whole different outlook on life uh-huh. and on driving. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the... 
Oh, I, I got in June of 2005, I got my driver's license. Oh. And my brother gave me a, an old Volvo station wagon. Oh, cool. January of 2006, I ran into that lady again. And she literally ran up to me and threw her arms around me and started crying. Uh-huh. And I said, what's wrong? She says, nothing's wrong. She says, you don't know what your testimony means to me. She says, I have a son, and he was raised in the church. And he left the church. He got into some pretty bad things. And I've been praying for him for more than 20 years. And I gave up praying for him. Mm-hmm. I stopped praying for him. That's- then, after what you told me got it done for you, I said, God, if you can heal Brother Charlie's eyesight, you can bring my son back to the church. Oh. And in November of that year, he had come back to the church, and he was now very active in the church. Oh, wow. So one of the things which I'd like to tell people, don't think your testimony is ever unimportant. Yeah. It may not be dramatic. Uh-huh. But to the person who sees it and hears your passion for uh-huh. what God has done for you, you have no idea why the Holy Spirit is having you tell that person, and you have no idea how God is using the very words you choose to reach and minister to that person's life. That's awesome. That's so and true. And so it's very important to continue yeah. telling testimonies. And that's that's what my sister and I are doing here. We're we're collecting people's testimonies so that more people can hear them. Because I think there's so many people that God has worked in their life. And we want to give more people a chance to hear about it. Right. And that's so beautiful that you you have an experience already of it touching stuff. And as you found out yesterday, I have no hesitancy of telling people. No, you don't. One of the things that I did do uh, is the night that I got the uh, I got my driver's license, I was... I'd gone out with, uh, with the music minister. His name is um, Clinton Dias down in Louisiana. But the uh, thing is, I went out with Brother Clinton, and we stopped at a church that was in Revival mm-hmm. and on the way back, and it was, they were having their invitation and everything. And I walked in, and I said, when you're an elder, you recognize other elders. I mentioned to one of the deacons, actually, was have a t- testimony about how God healed my eyesight mm-hmm. that I'd like to, to share if anybody's if you think it would be appropriate mm-hmm. and so he went up and spoke um, they were in the invitation and he asked the uh, pastor mm-hmm. it would be alright they brought me up and uh, this was the teenage night um, and they have different emphasis but this was teenage night uh-huh. I held up my little Private license. <laughs> I said, how many of you know what this is? Uh-huh. And I said, this is my first one. I just got this today. And so I told him how God had changed my eyesight, how it made it possible, etc. I said, but I just got this today. And do you know why I asked to speak tonight? Because I want people to know that God gave me eyesight. God mm-hmm. enabled me to learn how to drive and to get a driver's license. And I will not use this driver's license to go places that he doesn't want me to go. And I will use this driver's license to give people rides to where they need to go anytime he asks me to. Awesome. I want to dedicate the. I found over the years that if I do not give something new in my life 
to God, the devil will find a way to use it. Mm, so tonight, true. I got it this afternoon. Tonight, I'm giving it to God. That's awesome. I said, a lot of you are high schoolers. Some of you graduated. You're going on to college. Just like me, you're starting a new area of your living. If you don't give it to God, your devil will find a way to use it. That's true. That's true. Well, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I wanted you to share, you had another thought that you shared with me earlier about the woman at the well. Mm. Yeah. I really liked that. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm a preacher. Yeah. Pastor. Lots of opportunities to preach sermons. Somebody asked me, well, how did this change your relationship with God? And the simple answer to that is it didn't change my relationship to God. My relationship to God was established on July 18th of 1969 when he came into my life, cleansing me from sin and bringing me into his family. <laughs> and um, that peace from the next morning has been my touchstone. I don't want to walk in a place where I don't have the peace of God fully on me. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it has changed something. And that's the fact that I used to conclude services with an invitation. Mm -hmm. And those who go to church know what I'm talking about. Is where you say, somebody needs to pray, come up here and pray. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, come talk to uh, me or one of these people up here. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you how to receive Christ as your Savior. I mean, it was, uh, it was a do these things sort of invitation. Yeah. And I remember that in the 1990s, and I was telling everybody, I see just as good as you saw, as you see, except I see up here instead of out there. And I believed it. And I talked, I talked a better language of sight than a lot of folks who can see. Then God changed my eyesight. And I realized that all that time, that 51 previous years, I had never experienced sight. Uh -huh. I knew the language. I knew what to expect of it. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. Uh-huh. And as I look at knowing Jesus, I know people who can quote the Bible. I know people who go to the church every time the doors are open. I know people who pray over every meal. Mm -hmm. I know people who say, bless you when you sneeze. <laughs> Yet when you look at their lives, you see them doing things that don't agree with what God says he wants to have done. And I wondered why. And God showed me it's just like my eyesight. Until they meet Jesus, they don't know Jesus. Yeah. You can know all about him. Uh -huh. You can talk all about him. You can praise him in song. Yeah. You can yell amen. <laughs> but if you never met Jesus. So now when I conclude a sermon... I concluded with this. The woman at the well was a woman of ill repute, is the nicest way to put it. Yeah. She had had um, several husbands and was living with a man who wasn't her husband in a little village town just down the road. Yeah. And she was out there at noon because none of the women wanted to have anything to do with her. She spent about 20 minutes with Jesus. She comes back into town and she says to the men of the town, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Is it this a Messiah? Now, if I'd been one of those men, <laughs> and she was the same woman that went out there, mm -hmm. I would have looked at her and said, sit down. <laughs> you went out there long enough for him to tell you everything. We can let, let us fill in some of the blanks, okay? <laughs> I mean, 
Their, yeah. their, her, husband, her ex-husbands were there. Yeah. The men he was sleeping with were there. Everybody knew about her, right? Yeah. As Jesus was out there in the middle of the day. But 20 minutes with Jesus so changed that woman that when they heard her say, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did is not this a Messiah, they went to meet a man. And they stayed all day with him, and he compelled him to spend two or three days with him. And after that, they turned to the woman and says, we believe because of what you said. Now we believe because we've heard for ourselves. Mm. I can't tell you shaking my hand and praying a prayer will cause you to meet a Jesus. But I can tell you that if you will come and meet Jesus, he will change your life. Yeah. And what I pray is that I live a life that's so changed that when I say, come and meet a man, people want to come and meet a man. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure, though, because like what you're saying, there's so many people that think that they, like you, they thought that they could see, or they, thought, they think that they know Jesus, but it's not until you know Jesus or that you can see that you know, right. oh, wow, yeah. I knew is, nothing. Isn't, isn't that hard? I, yeah, I know Jesus. Uh, do you really know? I mean, all there is is a difference in the inflection. It's the same word. Yeah. Uh-huh. So don't ask me to try to explain what it's like to know Jesus. Just come meet him, and then you'll know him. <laughs> and then you'll know. That's awesome. And then one more thing. Um, this is a story that we actually started by talking about yesterday. Um, you were telling me about the food pantry. Charlie volunteers or works for his lo- our local food pantry here. We, it's, oh, it's an all-volunteer staff. It's all-volunteer. That's <laughs> what I was thinking, but didn't want to get it wrong. And he's telling me a story of, that happened at the start of um, this COVID stuff. The director, yeah, the director of the pantry is responsible for the community outreach, for, for getting the word out to the community that we're here, this is what we do, this is what we need, etc. And I'm the volunteer coordinator for the pantry. I'm responsible for making sure that the food is in the pantry and the volunteers are scheduled in. And uh, if they can't if they can't come, they call me, etc. Mm-hmm. He started out with saying, now you do know we're going to have to ration the food. And the reason why he was talking about that is that we received no money from the government. We mm-hmm. received no food from the government. Um, because if we receive money or food that's any way connected with USDA, then we have to apply income limits to the people we serve. Mm-hmm. Now if somebody comes and says, I need some food, we don't say, how much money do you make? We say, what's the emergency? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we have people take advantage of us? Maybe 1%. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that the, um, he says, we're going to have to start rationing food. And I says, why? He says, because we don't know how long this thing is going to last. And we can't do fundraisers or anything like that. I said, well, we, they have something here called the, um, the Rampage in December where the local school collects food. Mm-hmm. And we actually got close to 7,000 pounds of canned or of non-perishable food oh, wow. this last December. God, it was the biggest one we've ever had, oh, but wow. it was God knowing. Yeah, <laughs> what was going to happen. Right. And, uh, and normally that food um, would supplement it by buying protein, like hamburger meat or sausage or chicken or something like that. That's what we use the money for is buying the, the mm-hmm. stuff that you can't. The it, perishables. The perishable stuff. Oh, we get a lot of that donated too. Normally the rampage lasts us into the end of August. Okay. Okay. Well, we <clears throat> normally have 
a little fundraiser at the uh, at the Easter egg hunt, and uh-huh. then another spaghetti supper in May, mm-hmm. then the car show in June, which we just had, and it was really great. I told uh, the director at that time, I said, I don't think we need to ration. We're already rationing. We're giving them a pick list, told them to pick so many items out of each section. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're not allowing them just to rhyme in here and take stuff off the shelf. Yeah. So we're already rationing. Yeah. But I think if we meet the people's needs, if that's our purpose in, in the eyes of Jesus, is to meet the people's needs, then God is going to look at our needs and he's going to meet our needs so we can meet the people's needs. Yeah, because it's God's work. He's in charge. 20 minutes later, a couple drives up and they had about $120 worth of non-perishable groceries. Wow. And uh, she said, it's a funny thing. I wasn't planning on doing this. Uh-huh. In fact, my husband saw me pick and put something in the in the cart, and he says, you don't need that. we got lots of that at the house. Uh-huh. And I said, this isn't for us. This is for the pantry. And what's really funny is I looked over at the director, and I said, from our mouths to God's ears to their heart, that's how God's going to supply our need. That's so crazy. And so, and, uh, That's so crazy because she's in the grocery store at the same time you're saying God's going to supply these needs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it's, uh, and it, it, we've had several different things like that during these last three months. Uh, have a fellow who catches trout. Uh-huh. And uh, he started by putting on six or seven to a bag. And I said, no, we need to be able to give and freezing them. Uh-huh. I said, we need to give them out three at a time. Mm. So he started putting them in gallon bags. He's buying all this, et cetera. Wow. And, and they just, the three of them were just, I mean, they're long <laughs> enough to just barely fit into those three, <laughs> in those gallon bags. Yeah. But he's, he's bringing them in, a gallon, uh, several gallon bags at a time with three each. And uh, I, when we have them, I asked the person, do you want some trout? We have some fresh caught trout uh, to give away today. Mm-hmm. And if they say yes, I give them enough that they'll have one trout per family member. Mm-hmm. I just given away the last bag of trout. The lady is walking out the door, and I'm closing it because we're keeping it locked to, so we maintain social distancing, etc. Yeah. There's a knock on the door. It's a man with a fish. Oh. The fish is going and getting in the car. The last trout that he just gave us two, three days before is getting in the door, you know? Uh-huh. And he comes up, and he's got another bag with four with four, four more bags of trout. Wow. And I, I said, this is God great. Yeah. I says, we that lady right over there, uh-huh. she just took the last of the trout you bought the last time. God is so awesome. And so. All right. Well, I think that we better wrap it up here. Okay. I think that. Uh, to me, if I, uh, this is the way I would wrap up a testimony like this. Okay. The simple thing is, is it's not so much what God has done for you but how you let others know that it's God who's done it. Yeah. It's very important for the people to see that um, a man can be a good man. In fact, the old old illustration that pastors use all the time is a man owned a garage, and he's a really good man, an honest man. Um, One day, one Sunday, he's in church, and his mechanic comes in. And his mechanic is surprised to see him there and says, I didn't know you were a Christian. You see, he lived a good life. Uh-huh. But he, his mechanic actually told him, I figure if my boss can be a good man without going to church, 
I don't need to go to church. Because mm, he never told anybody. Because he never told him. Oh, wow. So it, it does not matter how big or how little. What matters is whether or not you tell. That's so The Bible awesome. says that we are witnesses yep. onto the ends of the earth. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, so that's Charlie sharing how he knows God is real and God is good. So thank you for coming, everyone. And have a good week. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is Real, God is Good podcast. Or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good podcast at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.